How is everybody tonight? Wow. All right. About to be a lot better. Okay. Awesome. Well, if you got the text, you know the title of my message is Who Am I? But it might not be what you think. So just hold on because about midway through, you'll have an understanding. So I'm excited. I have actually been super excited about this word. It has been waking me up in the middle of the night. It has been stopping me in the middle of the day. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to yield to you. This is all you, and it's just a little nugget that the Lord gave me that I just kept pondering on. I don't know if you've ever had those times where that this, you just keep revisiting this one thing. And so now it's become kind of like a bigger thing for me, but um, something that really, honestly, the revelation changed my life, changed how I looked at things. So, But at first, I'm going to open in prayer. So, Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to share the revelation you gave me, Father God, about who I am. I thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to minister to these people, Lord Jesus, and I just yield my voice and my mouth to you, Lord, and let you have your way and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to go through um, some scripture, um, to, and I want to share with you something the Lord gave me as I was reading about Jesus when he was brought before um, Pilate, right? Just before Barabbas came out. We're going to look at this in the four Gospels. And we're going to start with Matthew 27, 15 through 26. And I'm just going to kind of read, jump through a little bit and hit the highlights for you, okay? So it says, now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Notice it says Jesus Barabbas. Hold on to that thought. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate, Pilate asked, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of selfish interest that they had handed Jesus the Messiah over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's, judge's seat, his wife came to him and said, Do not let this innocent man's blood be on you, right? She was really concerned. He says, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to, to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed in his place. Which one do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered, and not quietly, I might add. What shall I do then with the Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. They just kept repeating it. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in the crowd, in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility, he said to the people. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. So they willingly took that responsibility from him. Then he released Barabbas to them, and Jesus was flogged and handed over to be crucified. And then we see also in Mark 15, 6 through 15, a very similar account of what happened. Again, they shout, just crucify him, crucify him. They want Barabbas. They don't want Jesus. They want Barabbas to be set free. They want Jesus to die on the cross. They're being stirred and they're being um, persuaded and provoked by the chief priests to request Christ, the Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the King of the, the Jews to be crucified. But yet he had committed no crime. And in that day, being crucified, you had to commit a crime against Rome. Jesus had not committed a crime against Rome. Now, the Pharisees felt like he had committed a crime against them, right? They were envious. They were jealous. They didn't understand his teachings. They were challenged by them because it questioned everything that they taught. So his crime, if there was any, 
was against the Pharisees, not against Rome. So to crucify him wasn't even something that was reasonable or that would be done in that day. So and then in Luke in 23, 18 through 23, again, he says, Away with this man. Release Barabbas to us, they cried out. Now we know Barabbas had been thrown in prison for an insurrection in the city and, and that he was a murderer. We did learn that about him. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again in Luke. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Man, so Pilate, he did not want to do this. But with the loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. And John 18, 39 through 40, nice and short. But it was your custom for me to release to you a one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And that's what we know. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, how much chaos must have been going on in this scene? You have a crowd of people being provoked and stirred by the chief priests. Pilate, a man who clearly did not want to crucify Jesus because he found no grounds for him to, to sentence him to death, right? Jesus, who knows what is about to happen, and he knows it has to happen, and then you have this new person crashing the scene, Barabbas, who we know from Scripture is a notorious criminal, right? We just learned that. And quite possibly, he probably was a bit confused as to why now was he before Pilate because he was on death row. He was sentenced to, to be killed. So he probably was like, what am I doing here? We know Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, brought before Pilate by the Pharisees. And we are just meeting Barabbas. But the scripture, in the Scripture, we learn that he is an insurrectionist, He's a zealot, he's a violent murderer, he's a rebel. A man who has been tried, sentenced, and is awaiting to be put to death, that, that's where he's at. Not a good guy, this Barabbas. A man with not a promising future. And now he finds himself before Pilate. Now we can't forget the Pharisees, and what, where, what, what's their piece in this? The religious leaders who are supposed to have their finger, right? They're supposed to have their finger on the pulse of what was going to happen. The finger on what God was going to do in the word. They were supposed to be the lookout for the coming Messiah, right? But instead of feeling the pulse and recognizing the Messiah right in their midst, they missed it. They, they were looking not the right direction. They were not feeling that pulse at all. But instead of feeling the pulse and recognizing him, they were inciting the very people that they were entrusted to shepherd. They were provoking them to demand that Jesus the Messiah be released, be crucified, right? Which is just hard to understand they wanted jesus crucified and barabbas set free the rebellious zealot be released instead of the king of the jews the pharisees the very people that were supposed to recognize and celebrate the arrival of the messiah are instead orchestrating him being led to his death and taking the crowd right along with him the pharisees full of envy were blind and deceived and they were misleading the people that they had been entrusted with that's a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. So I want to look at Matthew 27, 16. This, so the translation I used was from the NIV translation. And here Barabbas is referred to as Jesus Barabbas. I know I said, remember that. I was like, Barabbas has a first name? Like I didn't read that in any of the other uh, versions of it, in the Gospels. And I thought that that was really interesting. And his first name just happens to be the same as the Messiah? I was like, wow, all right. Now we know that Barabbas means son of, right? Like, Simon Barjona, the son of Jonah, right? Then look at the meaning of Abba, meaning father. So Barabbas means son of the father. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Even if his first name wasn't Jesus, let's just look at Barabbas. 
son of the Father. And then look at Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the Father, if you will. That really stuck out to me. I was like, that is, that is a little, Lord, thank you for letting me see that. And there's some controversy whether Jesus really was his first name, whether it fell off after Jesus was crucified and then that name became something that was, you know, looked at with high esteem. So you wouldn't want, you know, to associate it with Barabbas, the notorious criminal that was set free. So it's, it, it's, it's a little bit of a debate. But even still, just the meaning of Barabbas is enough to hang on to. So when Pilate asked the crowd who they wanted him to release in Matthew 27, he is asking them, do you want him to release Jesus Barabbas, the son of the, of the father, or Jesus the Messiah, the son of the father, if you will? So we establish that we actually in this moment have something in common with Barabbas, don't we? We are the, I'm a daughter, you might be a son of the father, right? So we have something in common with him. So then in Matthew 27, 24 and 25, Pilate says he's he is innocent of Jesus' blood to which the people respond, let his blood be on us and on our children. This showed just how much the crowd had been persuaded. They were demanding Jesus be put to death even if they suffered consequences for it. That's, that's what that said. Let his blood be upon us. I mean, someone's blood upon you could curse you. They wanted the vengeance and the punishment, like the vengeance and punishment that Abel's blood carried from the ground. But that's not the blood of Jesus, is it? The blood of Jesus is very different from the blood of Abel. Abel's blood was about bringing vengeance and punishment, which is what the crowd was wanting. It's exactly what they were wanting. But the blood of Jesus, the blood the crowd said let be on them, is a blood that brings reconciliation, redemption, and salvation. And I couldn't help but have Isaiah 53, 5 run into my mind. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He shed his blood for all of us, both Jew and Gentile. It didn't matter. Both had their hand in his death, right? Yet Jesus died. He gave himself willingly so that everyone could have the opportunity right, to believe and to be reconciled to the Father and be saved. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph is talking to his brothers, and they're being reconciled, right? And he tells his brothers, what you intended to harm me, God intended for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. And I can't, I can't help but notice the comparison here, right? And you have to also pause for a minute because Joseph was kind of like a type of Jesus, right? He had a whole lot of things thrown at him over and over again. And then John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, that the world through him might be saved. Right? The crowd thought they set Barabbas free. Right? That's what they thought. They were probably celebrating and rejoicing, right? They could not have been any more misled once again, could they? It was not they're persuading and they're provoking and they're shouting and their many words and their angry tone and their hostile disposition. That's not what set Barabbas free. It's not. It was the love of God that set Barabbas free. And that's when it hit me as I was reading in, in Matthew. I sat there for a minute and I was like, oh, Lord, I'm Barabbas. That's who I am. I'm Barabbas. 
I had read this many times. Never pondered that I was Barabbas. But I was like, it's all I could see. That's all I could see. That I was a sinner that was let go of my bondage, that was set free from my punishment, and was saved. Why? Because God loved me. It was that simple. And, the God, and the, because Jesus was willing. He had to be willing. That's so, that's so key. He had to be. If he had gone not willing, it wouldn't have mattered much. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have done what it needed to do right? That's why Jesus just had a peace about him when all this chaos was going on, because he knew what was going to happen had to happen. He knew that Barabbas, or Barabbas had to be treated, right, in the same manner that he was going to be treated, and he had to treat Barabbas in the same manner. God had to do that. It had to be an exchange. It couldn't be different. It had to be the same. The crowd thought they set Barabbas free, but that was not the truth. That same love that saved Barabbas is what saved me. It's what saves you right? In that moment when Barabbas was before Pilate and the crowd was shouting to crucify him, demand, or he was, they were shouting and demanding his release, God's extravagant love was there, right there. In that chaos, in that hostile moment, his love was there, even for that notorious criminal, even for me. Not that I'm a notorious criminal, but I'm a, I'm a good sinner like the next one, right? So I'm a type of Barabbas, just like Joseph was a type of Jesus, right, in the Old Testament. Like him, I'm a daughter of a son. I'm a daughter or, a son, or you're a son of the father, right? Like the crowd, God repeatedly uses what is intended to harm me for my good. Over and over again he does it. The same love that let Barabbas go from his prison cell, his bondage, that set him free from his punishment, death, is the same love that saves you and me and gives us eternal life. And that is an extravagant love. We need to realize that there are no answers within ourselves, but that every answer is in Jesus, right? We struggle with feelings, I know I do, of guilt and shame about things. We tell ourselves that we deserve the consequences, right, because we did the action or we said the word or we hurt the feeling or whatever it is that we did, right? And within ourselves, that's true. That's all true. But Jesus wants, to let, wants us to let him have it. Give him your sin, right? Give him your pain. Give him your disappointment, right? It would be like a conversation like this. Jesus, I'm so ashamed. And Jesus saying, just give me your shame. I don't want you to have it. It's like Jesus saying, or you saying, I don't want to disappoint you, Jesus. I know I will, but I don't want to. I desperately don't want to. And he says, it's okay. Give me your sin. It's okay. If you're sinning and you're disappointing me, I know you're trying, right? It's like, what if I do it again, Lord? What if I do it again, Jesus? What if I repeat what I just did? And it's like him responding to you with, and I'll still be here. I'm going to be right here with the same extravagant love, with the same grace, with mercy, right? Because my father loves you that much. Our challenge is, as a believer, isn't our focus or our prayer life or our discipling or our devotion or acts of service. It really, that's not what our biggest challenge is. Our greatest challenge as a believer is believing the gospel, believing that there is a God with a love so extravagant, so reckless, so wide, so unconditional, that even the most notorious of prisoners can experience it. Amen. That's the challenge. 
And that's a challenge I face every day. Because every day, the enemy wants me to think in some way, in some moment, for some reason, I'm not worthy of that extravagant love, right? That I should be consumed with guilt and shame all over again, even though I laid it down. I should pick it back up because he thinks it looks good on me, right? But I don't have to do that because Jesus carries it. We, have, we can't pick it up. We can't hold on to it because the only thing that happens is it doesn't allow us to forgive ourselves if we hold on to it. And ultimately, that's what Jesus needs, wants us to do. And that's why he wants to take it from us because he wants us first to forgive ourselves. It's really hard to forgive somebody else if you're harboring unforgiveness for yourself. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are all better, better uh, forgivers than I am, but I struggle if I'm harboring something for myself to find forgiveness to give to someone else, right? So Corey Asbury, he's a Christian artist, and he has a song, and it's called Reckless Love, right? And the title, there's a lot of controversy about the title when it came out, which I didn't actually really know. But during one of his concerts, he shared, like, why the, the, the title, the word, the phrasing, the lyrics. He was like, you know, let me give you some understanding. And I found myself thinking about the love, the love God showed Barabbas as he was uh, saying what he said. Um, I found, you know, the love of God was shown to me in the same way. So I'm just going to paraphrase a few things that he said because, man, they are, it was really powerful. So he said that it's not God's love that is reckless, which that's where the controversy was. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying, what he meant to, what he meant to convey is that the way he loves is reckless. It's a love that knows no restraints. And I was like, oh, that's true. Because if God is going to forgive me 70 times 7, that's a love that doesn't know restraints, right? That's a lot of heartbreak, isn't it? Can you imagine how much heartbreak there must be? He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose, he went on to say, for putting himself on the line for me and for you. He simply puts himself out there with the small chance that you might look back and return it to him, that love. And I was like, wow, that's true. How long, I mean, I thought to myself, how long did Jesus have to sit and wait for me? How long did he lay himself down for me before I turned around and I returned that love to him? It was a long time. It was a little lady in a, praying in a closet for a lot of years because I was a grown adult out of the home before I actually really came to know who Jesus was for me and to me and what that meant. He says he simply puts himself out there because he just wants you to look back and maybe give him the love. His love leaves the 99 to find the one. We know that, right? That seems crazy, right? Why would you, wouldn't you keep the 99 and not worry about the one? But I know, and you know, that rejoice, that heaven is going to rejoice more for the one sinner that repents than for the 99 righteous people that don't. There's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over that one. So it's, it's not reckless, right, at all for them to, him to go after the one. And it's not foolish at all for him to go after the one. What it finds, what if finding the one sheep that one sinner who repents is more important, right? What if what I, what I do know is that the rejoicing will be more for that one, right? But his love isn't cautious. It is a love that sent his son Jesus to die a gruesome death on the cross. He gives his heart so completely and so deeply that if rejected, it could be irreparably broken, yet he gives himself away again and again and again. Seventy times seven. That's a lot of times. 
And each and every time, he lets us back in, doesn't he? That's pretty, that's miraculous in itself. He's not concerned what it will cost. He willingly lays his heart on the line, asking that in return, we give him our heart. Right? And this past Easter, we hosted Stations of the Cross in the youth room. And I had never experienced anything like that before. I walked through and I took my time at each station. And then I sat because we were playing Passion of the Christ without the volume because that would have been very intense. And I just sat there reflecting on his journey to the cross, the journey that he took for me. And in that moment, it was just for me. It wasn't for all y'all. It was just for me in that moment, okay? Right? And in that moment, I was overwhelmed by the vastness of God's love. It was all-consuming. It's like all I could feel. It's all I could see. It's all I could think about. I, I just, I was overwhelmed. And I just sat there and I wept. And I have no idea how long I wept. But I wept and I wept and I wept. Because I had never experienced that kind of love before. It was tangible. It was so tangible. Like I could, like it was sitting next to me. Like it had its arms around me. And I know other people experience the same kind of thing. It, is extra, it was extravagant. And I sat there trying to figure out a word or a phrase that could, you know, capture what I was experiencing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a word girl. Like, I got a lot of words, right? Pastor Barb's not the only one that has a lot of words. But I was just stumbling over them. I couldn't find anything that was, like, even remotely would come out that even was worth even giving life to. There wasn't one. And then the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, his love is extravagant for you. Oh, and I just started weeping all over again because I'd kind of gotten a little control of it. And that was the word, extravagant. God's love is extravagant. And in that moment when Barabbas was before Pilate and the crowd was shouting and demanding his release, God's extravagant love was right there too. Even for a notorious criminal, God loved Barabbas. I know that sounds crazy. It sounds like not possible, right? He'd committed murder. He was not a good guy, not somebody you'd want to invite over to meet the family on any day at all, right? He was just an evil man. But God loved him. He needed Barabbas to be set free. Because if Barabbas wasn't set free, then he wouldn't be able to set us free. It was the beginning of so much. It was the beginning of everyone in this room sitting here today being able to confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he's the king of, king of the kings, right? That he is the prince of peace, that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one, all of those things. Without Barabbas, that might not have happened, right? Or would have happened differently, for sure. And in that moment, even Barabbas experienced God's extravagant love. Now, there's no biblical or historical account of what happened to Barabbas after that. Simply, we just assume he kind of went away. As quickly as he came on the scene, he exited the scene, right? Just like an extra in a play. Not a lot there, right? But only God knows for certain what happened to him. But what if Barabbas chose to not pick up his 
previous life as a notorious criminal, that he had such a reputation for being, right? What if he didn't go right back into that? What if he made the choice to not end up where he actually just was and back on death row? Maybe, just maybe, he chose to go to Golgotha, right? Just maybe. Maybe he chose to go watch Jesus be crucified and witness Jesus die on the cross instead of him and realize that it was for him. Wow. Maybe he realized what the death of Jesus meant, that he was not just let go from prison, a prison cell, but that he was set free from his punishment, right? And that he was saved from his sinful nature. And because of those things, he could have eternal life. That's what I want to believe Barabbas did. But we don't know, right? We have no idea. And just maybe he stood, understood what Jesus' sacrifice meant in his life, that he could have eternal life. Maybe he opened his mouth and confessed his faith in Jesus. Do you think he did? And was not only let go, not only set free, but saved by God's extravagant love, like you and I. Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And, that, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I hope Barabbas went to watch Jesus be crucified. I hope he got the revelation of what that meant for him. I hope that Jesus was, when the church grew by thousands, I hope Barabbas was one of those. I, I want to believe that for him because I know it's true for me. And what can be true for me could have been true for him because God is not a respecter of persons. He's not. He'll do what he'll do for one, he'll do for another right? But did Barabbas consider both choices or did he only ever see one? We don't know. What happened with Barabbas was left unanswered. It was left a mystery. But what doesn't have to remain unanswered or a mystery is what choice we make when we encounter Jesus and experience God's extravagant love, right? Do we continue living for ourselves like Barabbas had been doing or do we begin living for him? It's a choice. And sometimes it's a choice we have to make every day because we fall short, don't we? Maybe we are living for him, but priorities have gotten out of alignment. I mean, I can raise my hand to that. That's in seasons. Maybe we've chosen him and we're living for him, but right now we're experiencing one trial after another, after another, after another after another, and it seems like an endless storm, a storm that's just going to keep rolling in. Well, I want the storm to roll out just like Brab has rolled out of the scene, right? I want that storm to be gone. Wherever you find yourself, what happens next depends on our ability to grab a hold of God's extravagant love for us. Because it wasn't just for Barabbas, it was for each of us. And I, I wish I could explain to you when I realized how I felt when I when I. I sat there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm Barabbas. Like, I'm that notorious criminal. I'm that rebel. 
and I am in, in some things. I'm, I, you know, I'm that, I'm not violent, but I can be an angry person, right, sometimes. I, I was, I'm Barabbas. And I had the missionaries come to the pantry, and that's kind of where this all grew from. And uh, they, one of them was asking, it was Easter, and he was, I was talking about Station of the Cross and how awesome it was, and I just couldn't believe it. And he goes, yeah, you know, that Barabbas guy, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't really important. And I was like, what? He was so important. You don't, you don't think Brabus was important? And he's like, no, why? You think he was important? And I'm like, you do realize that you and I are Barabbas's, right? And he goes, what? So I went through the whole thing with him, and he was like mind-blown, like, oh, my goodness, I'm a Barabbas. And I'm like, yeah. And in the moment, I realized that maybe not everybody realizes, sees this little nugget the Lord gave me that I'm a Barabbas, Right? And so I even shared it with a couple of friends. They're like, well, I, I hadn't really seen that before, but I, I can't not see it now. That's all I can see, right? So you never know what God gives you if you just keep it to yourself. Like I kept that to myself for a long time because I thought everybody knew. I miss a lot of the analogies and the metaphors. You know, sometimes I got to come back. Sometimes I got to, I hear somebody say something. I'm like, ooh, I got to go back and revisit that. I think I missed something there, right? And that's okay because, you know, sometimes you just read the word and, as much as you want it to jump off the page at you, it doesn't, right? So that's not something I'm great at, identifying those analogies and those things. So that was a great little nugget. But I assumed, because I'm not great at it, that it was, must have been so simple and so easy that everybody knew it. But I found out that a few people that I thought would have known didn't know. So then I thought, well, maybe I need to, like, share that I, who I am, I am a Barabbas. And I am saved by God's extravagant love right? I am let go from my bondage. I am set free from my punishment, and I am saved by his love. What that crowd meant for evil really was for our good, and I think that is amazing, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't God so good? God is so good. So that is what I wanted to share with you tonight. You guys are going to be getting out of church early tonight, but yeah, I just thought that that was really, the extravagant love of God is so amazing. It's so amazing. So I think I know everybody. I don't think, I don't, I think everybody in here knows Jesus, right? I think so. Anybody? But I'd like to, if, I would like to pray. Hmm? Yeah, just in case. We're going to pray just in case. And I think we actually can confess, what was it, Romans, right? I actually even said it. Romans 9, 10. So, Let's just say it together. If, if we declare with our mouths, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Father God, we thank you for this time tonight. I thank you for the people that have come here this evening, Father God, and I just want to pray, Father God, that the nugget that you gave me, that it did speak to them, Lord. And I just give you all the praise and all the glory for the opportunity. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, Sunday, 10 a.m.